The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Off the Glass, Nothing But Net, and Up and Under networks. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. All right, Pelicans fans, welcome back for the latest edition of The Bird Calls, the official podcast of thebirdrights.com. I'm David Grubb, and this is our wild card edition of the Anthony Davis Trade Extravaganza podcast series. I don't know if that's the official name, but that's what I just said. As usual, I am joined by contributors Kevin Barrios and David Fisher, and our editor-in-chief, Ali Cosell. Um, A busy day, guys, kind of, sort of. The Anthony Davis, uh, David Griffin meeting I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Place in some shape or form today. Uh, Ollie, since you're the, the main man and you plugged in probably a little bit better than us, what do you know of anything about today's meeting and did any of the news that came out um, surprise you? No, it falls right in line with what I've expected. And as I've been telling you guys behind the scenes or, you know, on social media that I have no anticipation of Anthony Davis changing his mind, uh, even really opening up to the possibility of sticking with the New Orleans Pelicans. So hearing Sham say that's highly unlikely that his stance has changed, um, but yet the fact that dialogue is going to continue, I think what I'm reading out of it is it's not going to be Griffin trying to keep on convincing him to stay. It's going to be more so trying to find some workable uh, future, and that involves a trade. Where does Anthony Davis want to go? But at the same time, he's, Dave Griffith's got to make sure that New Orleans Pelicans' best interests are still maintained. So I think that's probably what it's going to entail. Um, and my hope is that please, please let it please <laughs> this, this deal, whatever that they're going to be working on, uh, comes to fruition sooner rather than later. You don't want to start the season with Anthony Davis still on the team. I mean, I'm hearing a lot of people talking about, hey, let's, let's just keep him to the trade deadline. We can maybe convince him. Um, I'm, I'm not in that boat. I don't think, I think that ship has sailed and there's no reason to start off. And we've talked about all, all of us have talked about this, that it would be too disruptive, yada, yada, yada. We've got our future already in tow. We've got to trade Anthony Davis now to get the best possible chips and just move on. I think it's high time. And I think today was just further confirmation of that fact. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things that really interested, you know, I just think about Griffin's history. Kyrie asked to go. He was gone. They didn't let it linger into the next season. Um, And that would be my, you know, our closest experience with a superstar under Griffin asking to leave 
um, his situation. So I think that portends well for the idea that AD will not be around by the time the season starts. Fish, you, you've always pushed the uh, the line that this trade has to be agreed to basically by draft night uh, for it to benefit the Pelicans in the best possible manner. Uh, do you think that the negotiations here, because, you know, already we know Shams is, is close to clutch. So do you think that this gets any less public than it did when the uh, Pelicans negotiated um, with the Lakers at, uh, during the season? I, I think it will be less public. You can hear me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it will be less public than it was <clears throat> under Demps, at least the negotiations outside of the Lakers. I mean, who knows what the Lakers organization is going to do or what's going to leak or whatever, because, I mean, there's a lot of competing um, ideologies and mindsets in the Lakers front office. And there's no way that the negotiation is just going to be between Griffin and Polinka. I mean, other people are going to be involved. I mean, the front office isn't run where just the top guy does all the investigation, all of the negotiation, and everybody else just kind of sits on their hands in the front office. If if that was the case, why did they all have jobs? So um, negotiating with the Lakers, stuff's going to get leaked out of the Lakers' front office. I have no doubt about that. And Boston has a history of trying to play the media. So you have to expect that stuff's going to come out of Danny Ainge's office. And if it progresses that way, I would think that David Griffin's going to play along and he's going to have to play offers off one another. And he may do that through back channels or he may do that through the media. One of the things I think that we have learned just in the past month and a half that Griffin has been in charge is that he won't, the Pelicans front office now won't allow narratives about the Pelicans to go unchallenged in the media. They, he will reach out to high level reporters and say, actually, no, this is what's happening. Um, I think that's what happened when the Gail Benson over her dead body trading with the Lakers happens. So if the trade is eventually going to be discussed very publicly because of the number of teams that you might have involved and just, you're not going to be able to keep that many lips shut. And if that's the case, I fully expect that Griffin's going to play along and he's going to play that game too. And what we've seen so far is he's going to play the win. Kevin, after what we've seen uh, this week, uh, ESPN did a a really deep dig on the Lakers front office and the problems that they were having. One of the most notable figures in that was Rich Paul, um, you know, the lead agent uh, at Clutch Sports and Anthony Davis' agent, of course. Um, And we saw uh, not only what he did with the Lakers in that article, but of course we saw what happened in New Orleans with Anthony leaving games early, with the obviously with the trade demand and, and the information that we that reliably we think was leaked from uh, Rich Paul about negotiations. Considering all the stuff you learned about with the Lakers, considering the things that we already do know about Rich Paul, how are you concerned are you if Rich Paul and Anthony Davis do come back into the Pelicans organization this year on what damage it could do to the overall tenor of the team? 
I mean, that's a huge concern. We've been talking about it all this through this whole series that, you know, you don't want the guy on two weeks notice to, to be around training the, the new face of the franchise. And we talked about, you know, AD's relationship with Boogie and how he was upset when Boogie was getting a lot of the shine and how that's going to be with a 19-year-old kid, especially with somebody like Rich Paul in his ear and his dad in his ear saying, you know, you you should be the one that's getting all this acclaim, these commercials, this fan support, all of these things. You know, it's just a bad situation. And you see how they handle things. You know, you see the T-shirt thing, the that's all folks thing. You see leaving early, as you said, you know, it's just a track record of bad behavior and handle, handling things in a very immature way. Um, so you don't want to bring that in, especially when you have a lot of young guys around that, turns these this thing into a circus and you don't want these young foundational pieces that you you will have like zion and whoever else you get experiencing that you want it to be a business setting from day i mean you want it to be fun of course but you want it to be you know a, a streamlined culture of seriousness and work and laying the groundwork for where you're going to build this team and you don't want these distractions that you don't need in the locker room and, you know, you can't trust that this agency will handle things in a professional manner because they haven't. You would hope that they learned from the circus they created and how it backfired on them and how it basically ensured that they weren't going to get what they wanted last season. But you can't guarantee that they learned from it. Um, so, like, we all, I think we all believe, as David said, you know, and as Ali said, you want this done on draft night or at least before, you know, training camp starts because you don't want that around. Yeah. I think, I think the, that the element of Zion Williams coming in and off of his national fame, he's already got more followers than AD on Instagram. He's going to have a shoe deal immediately. Uh, you know, it's, it's probably his own shoe, his rookie year. He's going to get commercials out the wazoo um, as, as a rookie. I just don't see, even if you took all the other stuff that we know about AD as far as his agency, if it had been under his former agent, Thad Fouché, I think that situation alone would just rub AD. We've, like you said, he's a thin-skinned guy in that regard. I think things bother him very easily, and I, I just don't see how he and Zion ultimately. And then again, with Drew's ascension too, I think we also, also sometimes forget to remember that, is mm-hmm. that in the eyes of the fans, Drew is as close to Drew Brees, <laughs> you know, right now as what we have in this city. Everything that Anthony Davis, we thought he was, has been now hoisted upon Drew Holiday. And so I think that is a problem, too, for Anthony Davis in try, if he were to try to return to that line. Is it fair to say that Drew is Drew Brees and Anthony Davis is Joe Horn after, you know, that <laughs> off-locker off room incident, you know? like, <laughs> But you know what I'm talking about. Like, is yeah, that what it was just here, kind of? It was just time for Joe Horn to, to see someplace else. It was just for the sake of the locker room, it was time for somebody to go. And it, would, it ended up being Willie Roper. Okay. Yeah. One other thing I want us to touch on before we get to our trades is mm-hmm. the good news, I think. I think actually all you guys would agree with that is the fact that CAA, the NBA agency, very famed, uh, they've got like Chris Paul, Dwayne Wade. Um, a whole slew of guys, D'Angelo Russell, under their wing, um, are presumably the favorites to sign Zion Williamson when we had been hearing that he may go with, you know, Rich Paul and Clutch Sports. So 
Let me ask you this, Fish, since I know you've been following this closely as well. How excited are you by the fact that Zion um, is presumably going to sign with CAA? How big of a deal is it? And uh, how important is it for New Orleans to basically break free of any kind of clutch sports, at least, you know, for the next couple of years, uh, considering what had happened in light of the Anthony Davis uh, trade request? Well, I mean, you can just look back to the Anthony Davis situation before he changed agents when he was under Thad Forcier. It was it was no drama. I mean, he spouted the same corporate BS about, you know, his long term plans. But despite that, there was just no drama around it. And I think if he hadn't changed agents, that wouldn't have changed the fact that Anthony Davis was probably going to end up requesting a trade, but it probably would have been done at the end of the season instead of in the middle of it. It wouldn't have been done through the media like it was, and it wouldn't have been, I need to go to the Los Angeles Lakers, which happens to be the team where my agent's premier client actually works. So... I think that's a great thing. We've seen um, just New Orleans has seen CAA in action for quite some time, actually, because Tom Condon, who represents Drew Brees, um, works under CAA's agency as well. So what what we think we should expect, number one, you look at his the CAA's client list in the NBA, players who have had substantial – shoe and other endorsement deals much more so than anthony davis has had on a national scale and that's obviously going to be something that is huge with zion zion is very likely to have his own signature shoe as a rookie which is rare but that's kind of the persona that he has built from high school through his time at duke to this point and caa um, has has the experience doing that, and then I mean just just the rest of it. You you can just expect a very business like relationship, without a lot of the BS that we've seen um, with uh, the Rich Paul experience. I think that that's yeah. I, I, I think the the one thing too about CAA that the difference. I think part of this could also be driven by the fact that Zion is trying to forge his own identity. And again, when you come under that clutch umbrella, it's LeBron and then the rest of you. And we just, I mean, that's just the way it is. So if you're Zion Williamson and you're looking to, and people have told which money is in front of you, why would you want to again be attached to somebody else's name for the, basically the length of, of your career? You're always going to be hitched to LeBron James in some way when you're with clutch. That's just, and I think Zion is looking to create his own identity in that regard because we really don't know him yet. And I think that he wants us to. It just seems that there is a lot of personality there that we have yet to see. That's just so, my, my take on that. So are you saying that CAA is death row records? You won't have to produce dancing <laughs> in the video? <laughs> you certainly won't see the agent yet. All up, won't be all up in the, the Smoothie King Center, you know? Won't be dancing in the um, pregame video. Hey, and as our friend Ryan Abair pointed out, CAA also represents Leonardo DiCaprio. So there you go. Maybe Leo stopped by. He likes New Orleans. He does. There was an article today that I read before we get into the trade ideas, and it kind of 
it, it made me laugh a little bit because it shows really um, two things, how close we have been to nailing the way the impressions are around the league um, about the assets for Anthony Davis. And then the other part is just how um, uh, just that there isn't a whole bunch of variance by league, from league personnel in their opinions on how much uh, Davis should get. This is from hoopsrumors.com. Okay, and I'm just going to do this real quick. They ranked their top 25 assets um, of the Anthony from of the pre- presumed Anthony Davis contenders. This was written by Chris Krause, who uh, wrote for, writes for CNBC and is a credentialed NBA writer. So this isn't just some random blog, just for for the listeners and for maybe you guys too. So they rate Jason Tatum as the number one asset for anybody in this thing. Two is Shy Gilgis Alexander. Three is the the Knicks pick at three. Okay. So they value Tatum as a sure thing. They're saying he may never be an MVP, but he's as close to a sure thing as there is. Gilgis Alexander, again, his value is his size, his, uh, his rookie deal. And some people think around the league that he has a higher ceiling than Jason Tatum. He may not have, you know, get to the same level, but there are a lot of people in the league who view him as he would have been the second overall pick in this year's draft if he was coming out. So we're close there. Number four, they have the Lakers pick at four, Memphis's top uh, 2020 pick at five, Lonzo Ball at six. And again, we've talked about that. Lonzo is a highly valued player around the league, a lot more highly valued than he has been by fans. Um, the Mavericks pick is at seven in 2021. Kuzma is at eight. Jalen Brown is at nine. Now, this is when they lost me. Kevin Knox at 10 and uh, Mitchell Robinson at 11. Uh, 12 through 14, Landry Shamit. The Miami's 2021, um, and the number 14 this year from Boston. Uh, then Gallinari. Then it's just picks, 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 picks. Um, then Dennis Smith and Brandon Ingram. And then at the bottom, they have Marcus Smart, Montrez Harrell, Lou Williams, Josh Hart, Jerome Robinson from the Clippers, Mo um, Wagner from the Lakers, and Frank Nelikina. So, I mean, generally, our top value is pretty much in line with um, what people are thinking around the league. So I'm, I'm proud of us in that regard that it doesn't seem like we're throwing out wild stuff and hoping it sticks. Is there anything just out of that, the way that list went down with player rankings that you guys kind of, that sticks out to you guys or, or um, just anything that you would probably dispute? Let me ask you guys this. Do you think that one of the reasons Tatum is more valuable Perception-wise, is because of the position he plays, because it's way harder to find a wing than it is to find a point guard, especially when you look at next year's draft when there's going to be so many point guards in it. Do you think that's one of the reasons he edges out Shea, or do you think he's like heads and shoulders above him? I personally think the perception is that it's the Boston market. They label Jason Tatum as the next coming, and they've already written off whatever woes that he suffered through this year as simply because of that fit up in Boston. I don't think, honestly, it has anything more to do with than that. I mean, I, I'm, I've told you guys, I, I almost slightly prefer Shea Gilgis Alexander over Jason Tatum one-on-one, if I could choose either of the two players, but I don't think there's much differential. I don't have a problem with those. I, I have issue with stuff later on in their rankings, though. Yeah. But I'll let you guys, if you want to talk about that first. No, I mean, yeah, I don't Carol's way too low, you know. Shamit's probably a little too low, too. Way too low, yeah. I think some of these picks are, are very overvalued. You're saying something, Fish? 
Yeah, I, I'm surprised, and I'm not a Brandon Ingram fan, but I'm surprised that they have him listed that far far down. Mm-hmm. That's um, got to be I'm a health thing, though, have, right? Uh, I mean, that, that has to be built almost solely on the fact that, you know, his his medical issue is one that the only times we've really really ever heard of it is a Chris Boss situation. It's not something that you've heard of NBA players dealing with frequently. And then Marcus Smart being that low because you have both his value on the court and then the relative value of his production and his contract value. I mean, we're talking about somebody who just made the all-NBA, all-defensive team. And I think a lot of that's just the fact that so much around the league, defense isn't valued by people who cover the league as much as I think as it should. Because Marcus Smart, of all, everything that anybody listed on that, is by far the best defender. And if you're going to tell me he's 17 or 18 or 19, I want to know what basketball game you've been watching where it only counts for counting stats and not defense. Mm-hmm. Because right, what I'm Ingram, seeing in the playoffs mm-hmm. is defense matters a whole lot. Yeah, because Ingram, I think that they, they have both the health risk listed as well as the fact that he's extension eligible um, and you don't know his health is. But to have him all the way down at 20 just seems, you know, very iffy, especially when you have three spots beneath um, Dennis Smith Jr., who we like, but I don't think has his. I don't think his best year was as good as. I mean, his best stretch has, was as good as Ingram's best stretch last season. We like I Dennis Smith Jr. No, I, don't I don't like, like him. him. I don't love him. I mean, I like him. <laughs> I think he has. He has athletic. I mean, I'm okay with him being a throw-in, but I'm not excited about it. I'm, no, he would not. I be mean, I'm definitely like okay, we'll give him a chance, sure. But yeah, yeah, that's. I mean, that's as far as I'm not calling call him a franchise okay. player. But I mean, I, I just—that's what I'm saying. I think it's weird for Ingram to be behind Dennis Smith. And here's I mean, another he weird one: Kyle Kuzma at eight. I mean, and he's ahead of Jalen Brown at nine. I mean, you've already touched on Kevin Knox at ten. That's just laughable. But you know, having Knox or excuse me, Kuzma up there, and then reading what they wrote about it, saying that there's some that think he's a lot closer to Tatum, um, that he deserves probably even a higher ranking. I don't know what basketball they watched either. You know. He's a volume shooter who's not good at shooting. What else does he do? Nothing. So that one blows my mind. So I, I disagree staunchly with that one. And, and that, that gets back to defense on my mind is that Kyle Kuzma is not, he has yet to de- demonstrate that he wants to be a defender in mm-hmm. the NBA. And I just, it, it feels like a ranking that largely went by which names do have we heard of the most and mm-hmm. then um, points per game. Mm-hmm. And yeah, because they're high on not... Shamit. They now, put him at twelve. Can, he he needs to be in the top ten. I think so too. I, mean, I would. I mean, he needs to be higher than Knox. I don't get that because for yeah, instance, production Knox, as a no. trade asset. Because there are people. I mean, on their list when they're talking about Knox, this is where it blows me. Is that some? This is a quote. Some would rather have Knox over Dallas's 2021 pick, and then they're saying that Knox is right there with the number three pick this season as the team's no top asset. That's impossible. This, this is a bad draft, and there's no way that's true. I mean, the Knicks, Knicks front office wrote that those two paragraphs. <laughs> 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 that those, those lines just really threw me off. Now, they are high on Shamit. They think that, that he had a great you know second half of the season, that he went, flew under the radar, which is all true. 
Um, but to then to have Gallinari down at 14 again, an expiring deal, multifaceted, multifaceted player. I just think that that's too low. If you're the Pelicans, again, and we've discussed this thoroughly, that's a great deal to have. It's yeah. a great deal to have. Especially when you, you know, we keep going back to what Griffin said he wanted, a young player and a nice veteran role player. And you can't ask for a better veteran role player than Gallinari. You know, like he does he does everything you want, defends, can shoot, can handle, can pass, um, you know, plays within the team. Uh, I mean, his contract's big, but like you said, it's an expiring and that it won't be as big going into the next season, most likely, if you want to bring him back. So, yeah, that's he's. I mean, I would have him over Knox probably. Even like Knox doesn't easily, easily doesn't. You know, I mean, I understand upside, but there's there's imagined <laughs> upside, perceived upside, perceived value, and what you're actually going to ever get and cash in on. And you know, where Gallinari far exceeds whatever I think Knox could ever turn into. To bunch Smart, um, Harold, and Williams together at 21 and to say that those guys, to, know, to acknowledge the fact that Harold is a steal at $6 million, you acknowledge that Lou Williams is still a steal at 32 years old, making $8 million, and you know that Smart, again, we talked about his value. Um, I, just, I just find that insane to have those three players that low behind some picks that you know, like the Sixers 2020 protected first round pick. How can those players be less valuable than a protected pick in 2020? What I'm thinking right now is we should do a podcast just on this and come up with our own rankings. <laughs> we can <laughs> yeah, keep we could do that. Yeah, hour. we could do our own rankings. Yeah. But that, I, I just, when I saw this today, it just, it, it, Eric Asher, who Ali and I have appeared on this show many times, he, he sent this and he was just like, it's a mushery. So, of course, when somebody sends me something like that, then I, I like the guy, I'll read it. And I read it, and I was just like, some of this is just insane. And now you guys have seen that it, some of it is insane. So it was a much read to make me twitch. Ollie, why don't you put together a list of all the sort of the main assets that we talk about, send it to everybody, and we'll do a roundtable for the website. Yeah, that's yeah. a good idea. Yeah, we can cast our votes. You can do that, like, you know, count it down. Uh the the like you know do it in increments of five maybe count down till you get to the top one or something i mean speaking of like the projected value of these future picks even the unprotected ones the ex i mean even if those picks landed you know those teams ended up being one of the worst teams in the league which i don't think anyone's reasonably saying that dallas or that um, Miami would be the, one of the worst teams in the league when their pick came unprotected. And then the Memphis pick, I mean, that gives them all next season. And then hypothetically, they get another draft pick to build on that and whatever they might get from Conley. Like all of those picks, even if they come in stronger drafts, you have to expect that they're going to be slotted six or worse. And that's in, really in a, in a best case scenario that isn't lottery luck so i just i don't feel like those those future picks are more swings at the axe at the draft which is something that i want but i want them in volume spread out i don't want oh that one pick oh the memphis pick or whatever pick is is the big hang-up i don't feel like i don't feel like that should be the case i think a lot of those future picks as individual picks are too 
too valued. The, the Pelicans should be looking at a volume of future picks when it comes to Anthony Davis trade. Unless you get blown away by personnel talent. I mean, you know, because, yeah. Because uh, if you get a whole bunch of personnel, like if the Celtics gave you all the players, they're not going to give you four picks, right? So Yeah, just, but like if, yeah. if you have a situation like that where they're giving you all the players, then the Celtics are probably going to want to keep more of their picks they have this year. And you mm-hmm. can say, we want we want two picks, but we don't want any of them this year. We just want right. the Memphis pick in your 2021 pick that you put, I don't know, slap like one through four protections on it just in case. Right. All right. Well, that was interesting. Now let's get on to, the, to what we promised folks, the wild card edition of our trade partners. We were each assigned one, but I know a couple of you guys have changed your assignments so um we're gonna start with the person who, who actually did the one that he said he was going to do and i did mine the right way so we're gonna start with kevin and kevin right. has the phoenix one of his favorite trade partners he's tried to involve the Suns before <laughs> but now he gets to play with them um directly so kevin what have the Suns brought us okay so let me preface this by saying we all know that robert sarver is a terrible owner but one thing that you can't say about him is that he doesn't try to land big fish. So I could see him really making a push to try to get Anthony Davis. We see every year he's he's making some kind of move to try to get, um, you know, Tyson Chandler before. Uh, I mean, he ended up getting him this year, but he tried to get him earlier. Uh, he tried to get other big name free agents always. They always make a big splash. Well, attempt to make a big splash and it never really pans out. They sort of have, you know what the Knicks go through as well, where they, they lose out on the free agent and then they get them years later when they're like on their last legs, like they did this year with Tyson Chandler and Trevor Ariza. Um, so I don't think it's, it's uh, out of bounds to say that they would possibly make a push to try to acquire Anthony Davis and bring him over there. And this has nothing to do with the fact that Monty Williams is there. Um, I don't think that that's really a piece to sell in. Anthony to sell to Anthony Davis because we know behind the scenes there was some issues with Monty Williams and Anthony Davis's father and you know it's not to say that that relationship was as good as uh, the national media likes to pretend it is so it might not be a selling point for Anthony Davis to stay there long term but I could see the Suns thinking that it it is and trying to do that um, so what I have here this is basically if you're kind of going scorched earth and you want to start all over, um, we're trading Anthony Davis and Solomon Hill to the Suns. And in return, we're getting Mikhail Bridges, who is a, a really good defensive small forward that I, I like very much and possibly will become a good offensive player. He's an okay offensive player, but I think he projects really well. He has a very long wingspan. He's very athletic. Um, I think he would be a nice fit with uh, to groom with with Zion, and then uh, Elia Kobo, which is kind of just a throw-in young guard to try to see if there's anything there. You could leave him out of this trade if you want. He's not like a, a piece. I was just like, okay, let's just get another young guy here. And then um, Tyler Johnson has a 19.4 million dollar opt-in on his contract, which he's surely going to pick up. And he comes over, and obviously, <clears throat> he's not part of the future, but he makes salary salary work. And, uh, you know, he's a serviceable player. You could at least 
play him, whereas we couldn't play Solomon Hill last year. Um, so, you know, he's there, or you could package him together with, say, Etwan Moore or whatever, other picks to get something else later on. But this is mainly about draft picks. So <clears throat> you would get the number six pick in this draft. You would get um, Milwaukee's 2020 first-round pick. Um, I would do this trade before the draft. Um, so you could also get uh, – you you wouldn't get uh, the 2020 from the Suns because if they have Anthony Davis, they're probably going to have a better season. But the likelihood of him staying there is low. So he would you would probably rather have the uh, 2021. So then you would get 2021 and 2023 from the Suns. And also you would get their number 32 pick in this draft, uh, which is their second-round pick. So um, you're basically getting four first-round picks, a second-round pick, and Mikhail Bridges is what you would be getting. Um, and then in this scenario, you would probably keep Drew just for this year and then trade you know, for mentorship, uh, setting a tone, and then trade him the next year to continue the rebuild unless you know things really click somehow with this young roster. Um, and then for for the Suns, you know, I didn't take back Aiton. I know some people, I've, I've seen other trades with the Suns where people say you get Aiton back, but I don't necessarily want Aiton. I don't think he really fits well with Zion long term. Now, if you want to take him to use as a trade ship somewhere else, I get that. But I think for the Suns, it's important to keep him because they can sell Anthony Davis on the fact that you don't have to do any of the dirty work down low. You don't have to set the screens. You don't have to battle guys for boards, you know, um, you don't, you don't have to defend the big guys in the paint. And then they'll have a core of Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton and Anthony Davis to fit around. And then, you know, they could bring back Kelly Oubre or whatever. So they can put together a team that seems like it could work. Um, so I think it, it potentially works for everybody. It just depends on if the Pelicans really want to, tear it all down and restart uh, where draft capital is your main asset coming back. Yeah, before I pass it to um, Dave, I just want to go back to your Aiton point, and I know, look, there are things to like about DeAndre. We saw it when the um, Suns played the Pelicans. He was able to score on the block relatively efficiently against Anthony Davis. I think he missed one shot that night um, when, they were at, when they were at the Smoothie King Center alley. Only nine for ten from the field that night or something like that. Yeah, he was very effective. Anthony played a little soft, though, we we noticed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, my issue with Aiton is much like – is probably the same as yours. This is a guy going back to college, does not protect the rim at all. I mean, averaged less than a block this season. Even at, at Arizona when he was in college, didn't block shots. And the one thing we know – well, one of the things that we've been kind of firm on is that if you're going to have Zion Williamson, you better have somebody – long who can protect the rim somewhat better be able to block guard the paint um, because that was obviously even with Anthony Davis a huge problem for the Pelicans this season uh Fisher what's your reaction to Kevin's proposal there I'm just not a fan of what Phoenix Suns can offer I mean I know like I, I like the idea of the Phoenix Suns as a third team that maybe takes something and facilitates but if you're talking about a pick heavy Trade from the Suns, and then you're just going to get some wings out of it, and you're not getting Aiden or Booker. I'm just, I'm not sold on that one. That that's that's just my opinion. How about you, Ollie? 
Now nah, I'm in the same boat as a fish. I don't think we need to be kicking like rocks like this. I mean, that's what makes this exercise hard to begin with. And I don't want to shoot down Kevin because. Oh, don't get me wrong. This is not one of my favorite trades out there at all. It's just like when you're looking around at other wild card, card teams that might be interested that could have something that they would throw out there. This is what I came up with. But yeah, if they're not giving up Booker, I mean, you, you just you just have to pass. You know, I don't care what they put together, especially if it's just a one-on-one team deal. You know, I just don't see it. What if TJ Warren were involved? Just to throw that out there. You know how That's- much I love TJ Warren. I still I wouldn't do this trade if TJ Warren was in it. I just because I feel like this trade the the thing about this trade is that it's starting over with a bunch of assets, kind of doing uh, a Celtics kind of rebuild, and then you throw Warren in there, then it just doesn't do that anymore. I'm just throwing it out. Just, just saying. No, I mean, I, I, knew, I, I knew you Because I knew you were high on TJ. And I, I like his game a lot, too. I think he's improved tremendously over the last couple of seasons, especially under some – Difficult circumstances, obviously, in Phoenix. Yeah, and I um, think it would be kind one of thing that's bad. worrying about him, though. I, I used to love him too, but then I started reading stuff, especially this year, about his, you know, motor and work ethic, especially on the defensive end, and then offensively, he's really he really turned into kind of a black hole. So, all that type of stuff kind of scares me when you Is consider what we're trying issue? to build here in New Orleans. Like, how much of this, though? I mean, again, we're, we're taking people from bad cultures. Oh, Are exactly. They, a lot of right. these teams are coming, a lot of these players are coming from places that have not won because they're trying to jumpstart that themselves by taking on Anthony Davis. Outside of Boston, most, or the Clippers, most of the teams that we've talked about are teams that are relatively either just starting to win, like Brooklyn, uh, or we lose are David? really bad. Huh? Hello? Is you there? Hello? Yeah, no, I, I thought you were. I didn't understand it was even thrown to me. Oh no, I was just I was, I was just saying that um yeah that uh so yeah these are mostly bad teams so the players that we get are coming from bad cultures so in, in a mm-hmm. lot of regard anyway so I, I think that if you get them in a better environment hopefully again you put them in a place where they're relatively young enough we're all the probably the players that you get back are going to be twenty five and under so there's I think there's still time to salvage. Some of these guys, if you get extreme problems, guy don't like to go to practice, stuff like that, that's a little bit more of a red flag to me. But if you worry about a guy's motor on a team that knew, he knew he was going to um, win less than 20 games, you know, I'm, I, it's harder for me to get mad at that for a young player um, it's, it, unless I just look at film and I'm like, he's not even giving a damn. I, I think when we're talking about, like, bringing in a guy with – Maybe he's had a low motor and he's had a bad NBA experience up to this point. He hasn't had necessarily the right culture around him. If the Pelicans were further along, I'd be more welcoming to that situation. Right now where the Pelicans are, I want them as much as possible to invest in, number one, and I've talked about this many times in our in our group chat, I want them to have at least one asshole on the team. They have to have one. Because the team, has, the franchise hasn't had one since I can't remember. Like you'd have to go to like, it was probably Chris Paul was the last Chris time Paul, that they had exactly, one. yeah, yep. And then and David West and Tyson were assholes on the court. I mean, they were all like they not assholes in the locker room, but they were definitely assholes on the court. Well, yeah, but like you need one on the court. Um, so yeah, they, all three of them were assholes on the court. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if 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 the report comes out um, sometime during the summer that. 
the Pelicans were looking to fill another assistant coach role, and they've decided that Alvin Gentry um, is bringing in David West, a, a franchise guy. I would be all about that. But they need at least one asshole in the locker room. And then the rest of them, I just want it to be hard workers, people that are not going to be distracting to Zion. If you're trying to teach somebody, because you, I mean, as much as we're, as, as we believe and we've seen that Zion has this incredible motor, he's always going 100%. We don't have to worry about him. He's still, he's still taking a substantial step up from going from college to the NBA. And there's going to be, you know, a lot of attention on him from the coaching staff. You can't divide that attention too much because, oh, yeah, we have to remind P.J. Warren that he's in the NBA and he should work for this. Just because he's got a smooth jumper, that doesn't mean you just take every jumper you have and you have to put in the effort on the defensive end, too. I, For me personally, I don't want those kind of challenges in the locker room, which is why a lot of the Phoenix guys to me aren't very attractive, except for, except for Bridges. That would be really the only guy that I'm like, Ooh, that sounds fun. All right. So Phoenix as a, as an individual partner, I think we're all down on Phoenix, but as a third team, there may be something that they can offer for um, trade purposes. Is that the consensus, guys? Yeah, sure. sorry, Monty Williams. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so now we'll move on to one of you mystery guys. Uh, Ollie, how about you? Who did you eventually settle on? Well, you know what? I am going to end up, you know, doing the Philadelphia 76ers and focus on Ben Simmons because there's been a lot of talk this past season, you know, rumors of how would he fit in New Orleans. And before that trade request Anthony Davis made, if you guys may remember – you know, Bill Simmons of the Ringer, Zach Lowe, they all kind of talked about, hey, what about flipping Ben Simmons for AD? Well, since that time, a lot's happened. Um, <laughs> and the biggest detractor, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through the negatives first because I think everybody's got to understand just how difficult or, and uninviting a package seems to be revolving around Ben Simmons for AD. Look, if everybody's proclaiming you've got to develop Zion, you've got to trust that his talent's going to take over and you don't want to limit him in any way. Well, the best vision of him currently right now, not having that jumper, but having all this, you know, athletic ability, the, this, you know, vision that could develop this ball handling that could develop. Everybody's talking about, he could be the next, you know, maybe something prototypical, the next Giannis or something like that. Well, that's exactly what Ben Simmons is right now. People are saying, Hey, give him the keys on some teams, surround him with shooters and let him go. Um, because Philadelphia, honestly, has been kind of a train wreck situation for him. You know, he's had a little bit of maybe, you know, issue with with uh, in the past with uh, Joel Embiid. But the bigger thing is Jimmy Butler. The guys that they brought in, it took the ball out of his hands. And as we saw in the playoffs, you know, towards the end of the games, he's not even getting touches. And he's, they're having him stand in the corner while Butler acts as the de facto point guard. So you got to think he's not happy and he wants to get out. But again, you're so you're going to send him to a team like the New Orleans Pelicans, who, by the way, we've got to mention Ben Simmons is a client of guess who Rich Paul and Clutch Sports. So would how would Rich Paul, you know, look at a deal like this, flipping his clients from one city to another when I have a feeling that neither one of his clients want to be in their respected cities they are in now. So 
I just see problems up and down. And furthermore, to make a deal happen, you know, because of the way the salaries are structured and all that stuff right now, Philly could, we couldn't swing a deal for Ben Simmons anyway until after free agency, you know? So I don't like it, but the only way it would happen now for those that still hold out hope, you've got to hope that a Griffin wants to wait um, until after free agency, because he thinks so highly of Ben Simmons. He thinks that somehow Simmons and Zion can work together. And then B, you've got to get, you know, confirmation from Simmons himself. Because from everything we've heard, despite the fact that he went to LSU, I don't want to hear people mention that anymore. You know, he does not have ties. He did not want to be here. And no. I, no, nobody better than Grubb to speak on that. I'm sure he will. But there's, there's really, I don't see any positive. So, yeah, it's, it's a great thought. You give him the ball in an Alvin Gentry system. Hey, let him go. And, hey, you've got maybe two guys that are wrecking balls, Zion and Ben Simmons. But – I don't see how you can build a team around two big non-shooters like that. So I hate the deal, even though I was supposed to come up with a deal. I thought it was important just to talk about a potential deal with Philly because they're not going to flip MB guys. I mean, you've got to think they, they rank, and I've heard Elton Brand is so high on this guy that he wouldn't trade him straight up for Anthony Davis. So you have to look at what they've got next, and that's Simmons. And I just, I just don't see it. So I wanted to talk about, it, even though I didn't offer up a deal, but it would, you know, it would be Simmons. And then I think you would have to honestly get a third team involved if you really trying to want to make it work. I don't know who it would be. I was messing around with like grabbing the heat, uh, the wizards trying to, because all these teams have their own problems, but I wasn't able to come up with anything good. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. One, Ben Simmons has no desire to come to New Orleans. None, none whatsoever. He's already shown that he's he wants to be in a major market and he wants to be he wants the celebrity part of this. We know that I I mean it's pretty clear. He's already dated one Kardashian, mm-hmm. a Jenner. He dated a Jenner. So we don't need to bring that down here anymore. We don't need any more of them. And then I, you know, also, yeah, I mean I don't think Ben Simmons is one of those people. If you even if you took away that part of it, I don't think he's another one of those people you want to introduce into your locker room. Because I saw what he was at LSU, and I saw how he did not lead those guys. He didn't. It was one thing to not to want to be in college, and I get that. These guys know it's a way station, but he had no loyalty to anyone, and he left those guys out there to swing based on his decisions. So I'm not high on Ben Simmons as an individual. Um, yes, he's very talented, but I, I, I just don't want to put the ball in the hands of a guy who's afraid to shoot a jump shot because then he becomes completely invaluable to you. I mean, you know, completely worthless to you at the end of a game. And he can't make his free throws. He's a very good defender. We know that. He's a very good passer. We know that. But he, that the, the lack of shooting, the lack of desire to shoot, and the inability to shoot free throws are all very – and his personality – are all problems for me. And like you said, I don't think Philly has the assets because their bench was struck dry when they when they gave up mm-hmm. the assets to get Tobias Harris. And then with them having to spend the money they're going to have to either retain, they got to keep one of the two. Um, I just don't know what Philly's going to have to give. That's like, to me, it's squeezing blood from a turnip. Kevin? Yeah, Fish, yeah. Kevin, I want to get your takes on what you think about a possible Ben Simmons trade. Well, this is what I think. If you're trading for Ben Simmons... I would rather trade for a guy who I think is somewhat similar in Aaron Gordon. Like I would see Aaron Gordon and Zion fitting better than I would see Ben Simmons in, in, um, in Zion fitting together because Aaron Gordon is the same kind of super athlete. He's a little bit better shooter. 
He's uh, definitely, I mean, he's not the passer or playmaker that Simmons is, but I mean, he did average, uh, I think, what, 3.7 assists this season. Um, he's a decent passer. And I think if you shift both of those guys to more of a center role, they would be better players. And obviously Simmons isn't going to get that in, in Philly, except for when they stagger him and Embiid. Um, but I think the same thing is true for Aaron Gordon. If you've made him a center with Zion, I think that could work really well. And you're talking about, you know, and I just think those guys are a little bit similar. And I think the package you could get from Orlando would be better because Philly has already depleted their their picks because of, uh, you know, trading for Tobias and, and uh, Jimmy Butler and all, and all those other guys like Covington and Saric are gone. So there's really not much else to send you that entices you. So I definitely wouldn't trade for Ben Simmons uh, because what all we've talked about is how you need uh, shooters to help Zion, even if it's not necessarily just from the point guard position, which if you're projecting Ben Simmons as a point guard, um, but also as another big, you need another stretchy big and you're not getting either from Simmons um, or anything else in that deal. So I don't think it makes sense. If, if I wanted a player like him, I would, I would then turn to the Orlando Magic and try to get Aaron Gordon and maybe like Mobamba, Fultz, take a chance on Fultz and some first round picks or something like that, or even maybe even throw Fournier in there if you want some more shooting or something. Um, but um, yeah, I don't, I don't see a deal with Philly that makes any sense. Fish, haven't covered it. Fish, just real quick, do you think? Here, let me just ask this question just to change it up. Do you think Philly would have any interest, and do you think any team should try and pursue what Del Demps maybe try with Demarcus and AD, and that is going big with Embiid and AD? Um, I don't think that that's really their play. Um, I can see how. Hey, why don't we go the completely opposite direction? But I think Philly's looking at it as they were. I mean, they were four bounces away from. <laughs> you know, going to overtime in game seven. I mean, now isn't the time to blow it up. Now, it might be blown up outside of their control because they have multiple unrestricted free agents. But I don't think that a trade like that is the is the direction that Elton Brand would pursue. All right. They're good, They're yeah, that's great. that's great. Yeah, let's move on to something else. Because, yeah, I don't want to dwell on something that's just – Crazy unlikely. <laughs> but imagine the dunks if you had Aaron Gordon and Zion on the same team. That would be so. Look like Uncle Drew. <laughs> be like Uncle Drew, man. He'll be out there doing Casper for you. So does that mean we got to yeah. then get Zach Levine somehow on our team too? <laughs> <laughs> no. 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 Are we just gonna be? Are, are we just gonna be fun dunking on people and not winning games? No, I'm just kidding. We've done that already. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> And, and, and without the fun. Yes, there was no Because <laughs> you originally assigned Sacramento, and you rejected them on the grounds that it just was not fair to do what you wanted, to, what it would take to that franchise. So well, who did you it, eventually it, it, I mean, it wasn't fair because a couple things. If, if there's one other – and Sacramento isn't a small market, but if there's one other – NBA team that we feel like a connection to is New Orleans Pelicans fans, and I know um, Kevin feels the same way. It would be Sacramento, mm-hmm. so that that's that's not a team. But 
if you were asking, hey, what if you could flip Anthony Davis for a guard to be beside Drew Holiday? That would be my first choice, obviously, would be De'Aaron Fox. But I don't think that that's fair to discuss with the Sacramento Kings. But what I will go is um, just a couple hundred miles north to Portland and ask you guys, do you think Portland would consider throwing C.J. McCollum and then other stuff to New Orleans to pair Anthony Davis with Damian Lillard? That's interesting. I thought about this, too, and I think they would jump at the opportunity. I really do. I think because Portland – you could, one of yeah, the they, they've consistently made the playoffs, but you know what? They've usually been one and done. We've seen that they need help. They need to go slightly different directions. So, Fish, I think it's a very entertaining idea. I just don't see David Griffin going that route. Yeah, I, so, I mean, I definitely see why Portland would do it. Um, my questions are, you know, CJ's not so young anymore. He's not old, but he doesn't necessarily fit Zion's timeline. He fits Drew Holiday's timeline. But then do you want a two-combo guard backcourt? You know, it's, it was sort of my issue when a lot of people were pushing a Bradley Beal trade. It's like, yeah, but then you're basically just another two-combo guard backcourt and no real true point and no real dynamic playmaker or, you know, Drew doesn't want to be on ball. Um, so then you have those problems again. I don't know how you guys feel about that. Well, a couple of things on that. One. Um, if you look at the times that C.J. McCollum has operated in the Portland offense when Damian Lillard isn't on the floor, he can be, you know, your quote-unquote lead guard. Mm-hmm. And I think I think Alvin Gentry would love to have a situation where he doesn't have one de facto point guard, but also Drew Holiday doesn't have that entire burden, so they can just split it up and, you know, they'll mm-hmm. alternate bringing up the ball or initiating the offense and then one of the things McCollum isn't a bad defender and he's actually really long for his height but he's on the short side but when you have a backcourt right now in Portland of Lillard and McCollum neither one of those guys are what you would consider plus defenders if you pair McCollum with Holiday it gives him more of a break and then the other thing that I was looking at when I was digging through what Portland could offer is one, they could throw in Anthony Simmons, who's on a rookie deal. Um, he was a rookie. He played sparingly, but he's got three years left on his rookie deal. They could also hypothetically throw in Zach Collins, which would give you a big that might fit a little better than some of the other options we've talked about with Zion Williamson. And they have all of their future first-round picks. Now, they don't have any of their seconds, but they have all of their future first-round picks offer in a trade so you could still do a pick heavy trade that isn't necessarily high value picks but we've seen what Langdon can do late in the draft or what he has done in his short history as an assistant GM with the Brooklyn Nets and then you get the short term boost with McCollum and then you just have the draft capital behind it where you could say hey you're 19 you're 21 you're 23 McCollum and either Collins or definitely Collins or or both, or we'll take both and then we'll eat one of the salaries you're trying to move. Like we'll eat Evan Turner and save you some, you know, some millions of dollars. If you eat 
Solomon Hill. So it's mm-hmm. a you know six million dollar savings on the on the Blazer side. That could be a, a situation that might work. The only thing is that Portland would pretty much have to look at it and say, "This is all the farther we think you guys can take us, and we're going to go with Lillard and try to pair him with Anthony Davis." That would be the, my my biggest concern on that trade is less how does it build the Pelicans and more. I don't know if I want to send Anthony Davis to a good franchise with a true alpha dog where he can be who he needs to be, which is just a supporting character um, for somebody else's team. Yeah, I think for Portland, that's like the Kawhi Leonard deal. They get the better player and you get, you get, I mean, I'm, I, I, I'd be worried about CJ with his height. That's an issue for me. Is again, you're getting, you're still staying pretty relatively small in your backcourt as people are getting longer. Um, and again, he's a mid-range guy predominantly. Likes to do move without the basketball. Um, again, yeah, I see. I see why Portland would do it in a heartbeat because I think if you have Lillard and Davis, you put yourself with the rest of those guys that they have. They have guys who know their roles already. They are an established team in that regard. And so if they don't give up most of their rotation um, outside of McCollum and a couple other pieces, they still have a chance to get back to the Western Conference Finals. But you, I, 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 don't, I don't think they have the picks or the players, enough players to, to, make, it, to make me excited about it. It's definitely more short, short term. But the thing is, is that of all of the players we've discussed as a possible incoming trade asset for the Pelicans, which one of them is actually a better NBA player right now than CJ McCollum? Mm-hmm. Would you rather have CJ McCollum or Bradley Beal? For me, that's I would rather that, have. That's what I'm thinking in my head right now. Well, the, here, here's the thing, and I haven't dug too much into what else the Wizards could offer in terms of picks and things like that, um, because they're they're similar in age. If I want to, if, if I remember correctly. Beal is bigger. Beal, um, we've seen what Beal can do as as the lead guard, and it'd be a very similar situation to um, you know the idea that I'm discussing here with McCollum. It would really come down to, and I'd have to research more in terms of what other stuff could Washington offer. And then there's the very like when you're talking about either McCollum or um, Beal, you're talking not. The 2021-2022 season, if you're going to keep them when they become free agents, you're going to pay them $40 million. Mm-hmm. And then if, you're, gonna, if, yeah. if, if it's really working and you want to keep that, that guy and you want to keep Drew, now you're talking about an $80 million a year backcourt. You're talking about and, – and the other thing with that is that those guys are going to be in their early – you know, late 20s rolling into their early 30s, and you're talking about a contract that looks a lot like what Chris Paul's contract does, but those guys are, as much as we love them, lesser NBA players than Chris Paul was when he signed his contract. Beal's two years younger and two inches taller. That helps you. But he's a much bigger injury risk. Remember all his stress Mm -hmm. fractures, too. Even though we got Aaron Nelson, I know. But, yeah, that's the one thing I'm thinking about because he and Drew both almost simultaneously. Remember, they were dealing with the same type of leg issues for the longest time. Beal does miss games pretty much every season. That, that, yeah, no. I'm looking. He's, he played 82 last year. And How many minutes has he played in his career? Because I'm looking at Drew, and Drew's at 21,500. 
he's played 16,779 minutes. Okay, that's that's good. Yeah, I like Beal's passing. I think that would work better than McCollum. I feel like he's a grittier defender. He, he's not as easily, you know. McCollum seems that you just set a good screen on him or you just make a good move. You can get by him. But with Beal, say, go ahead, Dave. I would just say Beal is less prone to prolonged um, ep- episodes where he's not scoring. And we saw there are times in the playoffs where you saw McCollum not really be there. So if out of the two, I think Beal can get to the rim a little bit better. He's stronger. Um, so I think when his outside shot isn't there, I could trust Beal with creating some offense for himself to find a way to get himself into rhythm. And I think McCullum can go games either in the regular season or in the postseason where he is a non-factor offensively. I mean, and Beal did have – he had five rebounds a game, five and a half assists, and got to the line five and a half times a game. I think that's, that, right. that's a big difference there. Yeah, and I mean, shooting-wise, I mean, Beal gives you, what, 38% from three? If, if, you know, so, I'm, yeah, I, I would – like you said, younger, bigger, and able to get to the rim, I think, a lot better. I think Beal would be the guy. If I'm going to have to pay one of them, I'd much rather pay Beal. We're we're neglecting, you know, the biggest thing in a Wizards trade for Kevin. We have to. <laughs> uh, well, Sadoransky's a free agent, so you know. <laughs> oh, he did sign he a one-year deal, right? Trade. Yeah. But well, we can I still mean, get him a free agency. We don't need to. We don't need to trade for him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That that well, part like, is over. Sadoransky and I, Ed Davis are free agents this year, David. So, so yeah, let Fish go. What are you trying to say, Fish? Oh, well, I mean, talking about Beal and McCollum, I mean, if we're talking about adding that level of guard, my my play in that situation is still hoping that Kyrie Irving ends up in Brooklyn and Brooklyn decides to let D'Angelo Russell walk and then throw all the money at D'Angelo Russell. Yeah. Because I feel like D'Angelo, D'Angelo Russell, at the age he is now, is a far more capable NBA player than either Beal or McCollum were at the same age. Um, He's um, just as big as Beal with a much bigger wingspan, a much better standing reach. I was looking on the NBA defensive stats, which aren't necessarily the best that you can find. But across the board, D'Angelo Russell – you know, when he's challenging shots has a greater, you know, negative impact, which you would expect because he's got a stand to reach edge on him about four inches. And D'Angelo Russell is a, a far better facilitator than either of those guys. And he's a much better shooter off of the bounce than either of those guys. Beal has very good three-point numbers, but if you dig farther into it on NBA stats, Beal's making all of his money being a catch-and-shoot guy off of John Wall, not really creating his own shot off the bounce, which is something that we know Angelo Russell can do for himself. And you think about how that stresses a defense and what that can create for Zion Williamson, not just in terms of pick and roll where he's going to the basket, but short roll situations where we, he would be able to operate in a four-on-three situation that we've seen um, Draymond Green really excel at. When you're talking about Zion Williamson is a really high IQ guy who makes the right play. He's not just an athlete. 
So, I mean, if we're talking about those guards, I still circle back to can we throw max money at D'Angelo Russell? Who went to Ohio State University? I just need to mention that for <laughs> And you won't get any argument from me there. I mean, he's like you said, he's a much better natural passer than either of those two guys. And then he fits Zion's timeline a lot better. And, uh, you know, I think he brings a lot of uh, swagger also with him to the team, which is needed too. Do you guys think that David Griffin will balk at a guy like Russell? I mean, we know what happened with him with Nick Young at the Lakers, what Magic and Byron Scott and a few others said about him. But I'm I'm referring to this latest, you know, the smuggling weed thing. Do you worry about Russell prioritizing basketball enough in Griffin's eyes? I mean, he has Trade Langdon right sitting next to him in his ear, so he knows everything he needs to know about what that experience was like last year. So if, if Trajan has concerns or if Trajan can vouch for him, I think that answers your question right there. And I'm not going to sweat what a 20-year-old kid does when he does something stupid. I mean, these kids live on social media. Look, today LeBron James's son was all over social media because he was just cursing and talking about women and stuff like that, and and he should be as well aware of anybody as what pub, as to what public image means, and he's making mistakes. So I think D'Angelo Russell made mistakes. He was a kid. You take him and you pluck him out of Ohio State. But, again, coming out of Ohio State, people viewed him as one of the most mature players in that draft class. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, I think he's made some mistakes, certainly, um, but he's still 20. He's 20, and I mean, I, I just think that, it, that like – for people to make these assessments of people's character at the age of 20 when they haven't done anything that's really, like, really bad. That if, when you were 19, if one of your friends was sitting around, if we all had cell phones and they were joking about how they cheat on their girl, yeah, we wouldn't have posted it. But you might have recorded it and showed it to a friend of yours for a joke. And that's basically what he did. And then smuggling weed, look, he's 20. Again, he's stupid. He did something that a stupid 20-year-old would do. And so, I mean, I, I, well, I those two- Let's just say that. Smuggling weed isn't necessarily stupid. The idea of putting it in into <laughs> a, I was in a tea can it, yeah. that you can't bring on a plane to begin with, that was stupid. You know yes. what I mean? Like, I don't think anybody this day and age cares if anybody's smoking weed or, or no. you know, so that part I don't care about at all. I mean, you could question the IQ that this person has when it brings that in, but the the violation is nothing. You know what I mean? So uh, I don't that, – that doesn't bother me. No, that, yeah, that wasn't the issue, the marijuana itself. Because, again, Major League Baseball doesn't test for marijuana. The NHL does not test for marijuana. Um, I don't really think that – yeah, it's only the NBA and um, the NFL that test. And the NFL tells you – I don't think the NBA tests for it. I don't think the NBA tests for it. You're right. They don't test. The NFL I mean, the they might it. say that they do, but the fact that we haven't heard of anybody getting popped for marijuana and I can't remember how long tells me that they don't actually test for it or they yeah. don't. Care. Well, don't they like test them very early in the season and then they never test them again? It's sort yeah, of. Yeah, it's a, at the beginning. I think it's at the beginning of the season and at the end and you know that they're coming. So I think mm-hmm. guys, or that's, I may be thinking about the NFL. I don't want to say that. I'm, I think I may be thinking about the NFL because but I think that. Back to, yeah. Mm-hmm. I just want to circle back to IQ. I mean, the thing that, that I love about D'Angelo Russell is because I've watched enough him playing basketball that I know how he sees the floor. He has a high basketball IQ. The rest of that, I mean, not only is he a kid, but a lot of the time he's been surrounded by other kids. I mean, that Lakers locker room that he was, that he was brought into, 
was a toxic waste dump, man. <laughs> Nick Young I mean, was the better. Remember, we're talking about, I can't believe that he, I mean, we're not talking about we can't believe, but we're talking about him ratting on Swaggy P bragging about the fact that he was cheating on his girlfriend. Like that was the place he was at. That was his introduction to the NBA, and he did it in Los Angeles. That's that's not the best place for somebody to start their career. During so, Kobe's I, I, last season. Oh, yeah, and the Kobe farewell tour while you're at it. So I don't read a whole lot into that, but I've, I've seen enough of him play basketball that I want that guy on my team, especially if he's going to be he, – he's a great bridge between playing right away for Drew – and building long term for Zion. Yep. Gimme. <laughs> All right. So now we get to me. I got. I had the Atlanta Hawks, and I actually digging through the Hawks, I found a decent deal. I think. I think it's a decent deal. Now, would it happen? I don't know, but I'll give it to you guys, and you tell me what you think. Um. So the Pelicans give away Anthony Davis, and the Hawks give up. John Collins, Kent Bazemore, Torian Prince, um, and this year's number eight. That's the deal. And I, I think you, you've you've touched everything that that David that um David Griffin asked for. You're getting in John Collins. You get a potential All Star. In Torian Prince, you have a, a very solid role player who's still under his rookie deal. In Baysmore, you have a guy who can contribute if you keep him. He's on the last year of his deal at $19.3 million. He can shoot the basketball, um, play solid defense, um, and then you get the number eight. You have the Hawks make that pick for you. And so essentially, you're getting Zion. You get um, John Collins, who would be a top five pick in this draft. Um, you get Torian Prince, again, like I said, a solid role player. And that number eight is potentially your solution at the point guard position. Um, and then I would throw the rest of my money, now that I, if I've got money as the Pelicans, I'm looking at going after to, to fill my center spot. I would either try to steal Dwayne Dedman, who's now a free agent, um, and you have a guy who can both protect the rim and shoot the three, or I'm going after Brooke Lopez from Milwaukee because they have guys like Middleton and, and, and that they have to resign, and Lopez may be the guy who's the odd man out there. And he, again, a guy who can get you 100 block shots and shoot the three and is a very effective uh, guy in boxing out and getting rebounds. So I think those four things would solve, would get you your thing. Your, um, I mean, I could ask for more picks. You could ask for more picks. But I, I'll, I'll let you guys pick it apart. Go ahead, Fish. You were about to start talking first, I think. With the whole, well, first thing is that I was going to say and because – Every single yeah. trade, every, every single trade we ever produ- produce, I always ask myself, is that the trade that Griffin would propose first? And it's always, no, he'd ask for more, like maybe to be able to wiggle back to that place. I, I wonder about how much overlap you have with Collins and Zion. Is Collins gonna is is one of those guys gonna be able to get to the point where they can stretch the floor that the two of them can coexist, or are you just getting John Collins because he's the great asset and eventually you're gonna flip him because it's not most fit? Well, Collins and, is 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 a very good shooter. He yeah, shot the ball very well from outside this year. 
I mean, 30, 30? like 35%, but uh, he, he does look like that's he can shoot. That's a young guy, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, is he going to, is he going to be able to shoot enough and at a volume that, that it works would be my first question. Um, and then the second question is all the rest of it. Um, I mean, I'm a Tory and Prentice fan. I think we, we think back to the draft mm-hmm. that came out. I traded around a whole bunch of stuff in the SB Nation draft to get him. I think I shipped off Tyreek Evans. I'm sorry, Kevin. And, That's okay. And then, um, you know, I, I've been a Baysmore fan, and I feel like he would be the kind of guy you want to have in your locker room. So a lot of that fits, but if you're looking at it from Atlanta's perspective, would they rather have their pillars of their organization be Trey Young and John Collins, who are kind of on the same trajectory? And on the same timeline, or Trey, Trey Young and Anthony Davis, who are pretty far spread apart, and I, I think all of us will come back with Atlanta is going to say thanks, but no thanks because they want to take their time a little bit with this and not just throw all their chips in right now. I don't feel like Trey Young's sophomore season is the time to try to cash in. That's my opinion on it. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Like, I, I was going to joke and say, how many first-round picks do we have to send to them to get John Collins? Because I love John Collins. But um, I just don't see, it. you know, Atlanta has Trey Young, Herder, Collins to sort of build around. And I, I think that they're in the right spot where they want to be and to rock the boat to send Anthony Davis over there, which is probably going to be a one-year rental because of – where he's playing and the situation he's playing in, I, I just don't think that he sticks around there. Um, so I don't think see them rocking the boat, especially because Collins is such a, a promising young player. I mean, like we said, he's starting to stretch the floor. He's super athletic. I don't know if he's a natural five. He might be more of a power forward. So then you're going to, if you're looking at the Pelicans, you're playing two power forwards. Although I don't necessarily think that matters as much in today's NBA. Um, but it also isn't Torian Prince going to be a restricted free agent. Does that throw a wrinkle in the, um, no, I, no, he, 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 he would be, it would be team option. He's under his team option. Oh, okay. I and thought he next was year would be the qualifying Okay. okay no. Yeah. And I like him too, but, uh, I just don't, I, I agree with, um, David. I just don't see Atlanta making this deal. Um, here's the, here's the wild card in that deal though. Atlanta only has $57 million on the books. Right. Could they get another free up. agent? So if you get AD to go to Atlanta, and again, Atlanta's been looking for somebody to fill that arena, essentially, since Dominique Wilkins left. They still have not been able to sell out the Phillips Arena on a consistent basis, even with the hair, you know, barbershop, even with the DJ, all the things that they have, they haven't been able to sell out. So let's say you get box office with AD because now you have a legitimate all-first-team, all-NBA guy that you can put out there. Atlanta is also a very popular city. You've got only 57 million committed because Deadman's coming off the books. All these young guys that they have on their books are either at the end of their rookie deals or the veterans that they have are about to come off their deals. So they would have plenty of money to go in. Even with the AD deal, they'd still have that 57 million sitting there. That's a lot of money for Atlanta to play with. Yeah. It just makes it hard. I agree it's with that too, shot. but it just seems like the way that they, you know, the moves that they made last season, the 
the guy they brought in to be their GM and the, the path they're on, they're trying to build through the draft. So like, I would say if this was two to three years from now, perhaps, but it just seems like that's not how they want to build this team. I could be wrong. Cause like you said, by, by acquiring Anthony Davis and still having room for another max guy, they make that work. But, um, I don't know. Well, you know, that was the whole point was to throw stuff out. These were yeah. wild card teams. So these were just, you know, again, these were straight. We, we tried to play around within the rules and, and, and see if there was something interesting. People had asked about Atlanta at different points um, mm. online. So, uh, you know, and when we talked about it, we said, hey, this is, might be a good destination. And if it, it were, yeah, I, I think Griffin absolutely w- would want more. Atlanta does have some very attractive picks over the next several years. So, yeah, I think you would absolutely want more picks in the initial ask. But, yeah, I, I was just trying to figure out what it – instead of figuring out what the original ask, I tried, kind of went to the end on that. Well, I'll say this. I think your Atlanta trade is the most interesting of the ones that we've thrown out. Like, I would – that would be the one I would be most interested in. I would definitely need a few more picks, I think, at least one more, if not two more. But, yeah, because you uh, could go after the twenty, the twenty twenty from Cleveland. Yeah, let's say he threw in the twenty twenty from Cleveland with that twenty nineteen eight number eight for this year. That makes that deal a hell of a lot more attractive, doesn't it? Right. Yeah. So there's there's definitely something there. I just it just depends on if Atlanta's in that in that mode yet, and I don't know if they are, but you know, if right. they are, then that's something they could definitely consider. I think. And I think all three of those players would thrive. In this offense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, personnel-wise, their fits. If you got the picks, it'd be nice. But, yeah, I think the biggest question, I, I, I absolutely agree with you guys, is does Atlanta want to try to take their big home run swing now um, on those guys? And, I mean, they might consider – yeah, if, if they bailed on Collins, it would be because of injuries. I think that would be the only thing is because he, ha- he played only 64 games last year, and that, that would be the only reason. But – you know, it's not like Anthony Davis is made out of concrete, so I don't know. Um, are there any other teams that we see that could be potentials, even though I know we struggled to kind of try to find fits, but are there any other teams that we think could just, even without looking and taking deep digs into them, that could come out of the woodwork possibly? I mean, with like I deal? mentioned earlier, Orlando, I would say, is possible. Um I could see Utah maybe engaging some sort of interest, but I just don't see what they really have that would interest the Pelicans unless they're willing to part with Donovan Mitchell, which I wouldn't think they would be. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, because Utah for me is it w- would have been a more attractive if Favors were still under contract. And they don't have – he'll be a free agent this offseason. And I don't think – without including Favors – I don't know what they have. Like I said, I mean, it would have to be Mitchell and Ingles for me, and then and they are not doing that, and they are not going to do that. Yeah, Ali, you see anybody else out there that could put something together that we're not thinking of? I mean, what what if uh, Paul George and Russell Westbrook have it out at OKC, right? Um, I don't, I don't foresee that happening, but you know. Maybe OKC needs, needs to shake things up because they, they did have a really disappointing end to their season, not only the way they finished the regular season, but then in the playoffs. So I don't know. I, because Russell Westbrook is one of Anthony Davis's best friends in the league. So things start, at, you know, with that. 
would an AD be willing to live in OKC if he could play with one of his best friends? I don't know. I mean, I don't but, think so. But what are you going to get back from Oklahoma City that you really like? You think they're going to give you Paul George? Oh, I, I, I would doubt it. I mean, but if you're Sam Presti and you just suddenly went through the season that they did, and maybe they don't have faith. And, you know, I mean, we know what kind of player Russell is, right? And they were at their best when he literally at the start of the year, what was the second or third month, he was literally taking a super back seat and letting Paul George, you know, shoot all the shots, be the focal point of the offense. I, I just don't think that's in Russell Westbrook's, you know, future to play like that. So I do think that there might be a chance Sam Presti might have to look to do something, shake up that roster somehow. But again, I, I see, that's why these are all wild cards. That's why none of these made the cut in our top six. So I think it's hard to find anything. I mean, we, we picked apart Kevin's Phoenix deal, your Atlanta deal, even though, you know, kind of like that. I couldn't even come up with a decent one for Philly, you know, and fish, <laughs> fish didn't even try on Sacramento either. So, you know, it's not easy. Yeah, we tried with Washington. We've tried with Orlando. We've tried. Well, Let I have one out. more. Okay. I'm well, the thing I'm is, not... one thing I want to get to, because Kevin loves these, I think three and four team deals are what we should be looking at. Maybe we should do a pot on that. Because, I mean, there's guys around the league like Pat Riley. There's certain GMs or owners that really want to swing for the fences. So could they somehow be included? That's what I was trying to come up with essentially today, but I failed. <laughs> One that I would say is a would be a wild card because it's not necessarily the market that Anthony Davis would want to sign up for. But if you're talking about the Kawhi Leonard swing for the fences because you think you're close. Um, I mean, Indiana was really good even after Oladipo went down. And if they feel like – I mean, Oladipo's a monster. If there's anybody that I would expect to – recover ahead of schedule, Victor Oladipo is going to be up there on the list. So Indiana, I think, could build an enticing package that's fundamentally the the cornerstone of it is Miles Turner as the incoming for the Pelicans. And Miles Turner's owed $18 million, and he's under contract for the next four years. So both of those pieces, both of those pieces, the fact that he makes the money pretty easy to, to match and the fact that he's under contract for a long time makes him an attractive piece. I think we've already discussed how well he would fit with Zion. And then Indiana has all of their first future first-round picks. So you could have a trade where you get maybe Miles Turner and Doug McDermott and Aaron Holiday and then a whole bunch of picks. And it doesn't sound it doesn't sound great in the beginning, kind of like the Paul George Victor Oladipo trade between Indiana and OKC didn't sound great, but it ended up working for both teams. If you end up going with you bring in Turner as the center that you're gonna get to play beside Zion and you already know we have a big man, he can shoot, he can shoot the the three ball. Not only can he shoot the three ball, he's not his three-point numbers aren't built on he shot a whole bunch of spot-up corner three-pointers. He shot a lot of three-point shots above the break. And then, you know, Holiday's kind of a throw-in. McDermott gives you a little bit of a short-term answer on the wing, and then you have a bunch of future picks on that. That isn't a terrible package because the, the jewel of the trade fits with your incoming superstar, he fits with your incoming superstar in terms of not just 
how they fit on the court, but their their arc, you know, their their future. He fits on the timeline better, and then they can throw a whole bunch of picks on at it. And hey, if you if you hit on one of those picks that ends up being 18th or 20th or something like that, or Anthony Davis walks because it's Indiana and all he's really concerned about is getting to a big market, then those picks become substantially more valuable. So Indiana, if we're really talking about dark horses, I would say that the Pacers are in on that. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that too. I mean, I obviously I threw them in, in my Boston trade package. So like I, I think there's hard to find another better big man in the league to fit with. Zion, then Miles Turner, maybe Laurie Markinen, but you know you're not getting him from the Bulls. Other than that, I think Miles Turner would be the perfect fit. So if I was David Griffin, even if my Anthony Davis trade didn't involve Indiana, I would then try to see what it would take to get Miles Turner out of Indiana anyway, whether that's players and picks or whatever. As long as the it doesn't cost you too much. I think I would be invested in, in that. And then, you know, I already made the argument for also throwing Drew Holiday a bone by getting his uh, younger brother over here to play with him. But he also might be a good player. We don't know. And it's a position of need. So that also fits, I think. So I, would, I wouldn't mind that one either. I want to love it, but I just can't go over the fact that, hey, you're going to ship Anthony Davis to a place that probably he does, he wants to live in even less, right? And we saw the kind of commitment, which I thought and Grubb thought and a few of us else thought that after he came back from that injury, once the Pelicans hit their tailspin, it wasn't that same consistent effort. Nowhere close to the guy we saw carry us to the playoffs the season before. So would he just come out of the gates next season for Indiana? And, and I have to think they'd be worried about it, but – if he comes out like a turtle or just not even, you know, given a hundred percent in each game, there's no way they're going to keep him. let alone even try and sell him on anything and get anywhere far like Kawhi Leonard did. I think Kawhi Leonard is a different, he's got a different build to him, a motor. If he's going to step out on the court and he feels good enough about his surroundings to where, you know, he doesn't feel pressure from teammates talking about him behind his back in the locker room, like he did with the Spurs. He's going to go and give it his all. With Anthony Davis, I don't. I'm not sure what drives him, or or how you can get him back to playing 100, 100 giving 110 percent effort, unless he's in a situation in the city that not only he but the people around him want to live in. I mean, I think it's honestly that cut and dried. So, I love the deal, Fish. I would love Kevin to see Miles Turner here, but I cannot see Indiana ever taking a chance on him after you know what they saw transpire in New Orleans. Yeah, I think it's, you know, when you look at the history of, of guys of 80s level who've gotten traded in their primes, the the biggest concern is always that you, you, you know from the start you're not getting equal value back. Um, you know, you go back to the Shaq trade, and it was Lamar Odom, Brian Grant, um, Karan Butler, and one number one. That's what they got for Shaq. And then you look at, you know, uh, just recently, like I said, you look at the Kawhi Leonard deal, and it's DeMar DeRozan, who I don't think any of us are particularly high on. His numbers are – his advanced numbers are always show that, that the teams that he's played for do better with him on the bench than they do with him on the floor. So you, the Spurs end up with DeMar DeRozan and, and, and pieces um, to move Kawhi Leonard. So it's as much as – you know, I think that's my biggest conflict. And I, before we wrap, I just would like to hear from each of you guys. It's like as much as we have gone through this process and we see what we like and you go through it and you're shopping – and you look at the aisle and you grab the, the things that look really great. 
now you get to check out and you look at what you, you how much you can pay for it, and maybe you can't get everything that's in the cart. How, how much do you think we, the difference is going to be from the ask to the get? Start with uh, Kevin. Yeah, I mean, it's tough to know because, uh, it, you know, and maybe one thing that we haven't considered, and I, I've mentioned it in, um, in, the, in our DM chats, and also Joseph Billiot tweeted about it, but, like, what if part of this meeting with David Griffin was, okay, you don't want to be here. We have a trade that we could possibly make with, with these teams. Would you opt in if we traded you to one of these teams? any of these teams that way they at least have two years of, of Anthony Davis. And does that lead to getting a better haul back than if he doesn't do that? Is that a conversation that they're having? I mean, I think if, if you get in two years, two solid years, of Anthony Davis, then you're getting everything you want from that team. Whereas now, you know, with the uncertainty, you know, there might be a little bit of a, of us getting, and I think Preston is very much on on this train of thought that he thinks that we're overvaluing what we're going to get back because of that notion that he might not stay wherever he goes, and that people know that we have to trade him. And now, also another thing to consider is that now Houston is in this market, saying they're selling off all their players. Is James Harden available? And if James Harden's available, and you're one of these top, you have one of these top packages for the Pelicans. Would you rather have a player like James Harden, who's at least a one-time MVP, if not going to be a two-time MVP, and a guy that can win you 50 games by himself and that is locked up for a few years on your roster and has shown that he can carry a team, whereas there's questions about that in his mentality when it comes to Anthony Davis and also whether he's committed and going to stay long-term. So do things like this mess up the market a little bit for Anthony Davis? I'm not sure. Um, it is tough. I think no matter what, I think removing the dark cloud over the franchise is a bonus to begin with. And then as long as you get, you know, some pieces to work and build out a team, even if it's kind of starting from scratch, you're, you're on the right path. I don't think you can expect to get equal value. Um, it, I think you can expect to get some quality back, of course, and you should expect quality back. But I think, there's almost there's also going to be a little bit of a benefit from just removing the circus from the locker room in a sense. Um, so even if you're getting less back than we initially thought, I, I don't think you should be down on the trade initially. What about you, Griff? I mean, Fish. I don't know why I said I'm calling you Griff. <laughs> Thank you for the promotion, man. I yeah. appreciate that. Um, I think it depends on which team you're talking about. Um in terms of how much the Pelicans might get, I think that's going to be mostly driven by which teams are involved in the bidding because it only takes like two or three teams to really drive the bidding up. And in that respect, the Pelicans are in a position of strength because we all feel like the Lakers and the Knicks are going to be extremely motivated to make it happen. So with either of those teams, either you have – a bunch of recent picks who turned into players who maybe have underperformed or don't have quite the reputation they had at play, as players in the Lakers trade package, or you have a whole bunch of future picks from the Knicks. I think we focus. Uh, I mean, we focused a little bit on the Knicks players, and we pretty much said, "And eh, the players aren't really what make the trade happen. It's all the future picks, including the number three this year." 
So I don't think we're shooting too far over the moon, but we do need to be prepared that it's going to be not just not less as much as it's going to be more complicated. I would be I would be very surprised if it ends up being a two team trade, just because I think once Anthony Davis is moving and a whole bunch of assets start getting out on the trade table, other teams are going to be interested. And so, like like Ollie was saying, a team like Miami gets involved, and the teams that we've repeatedly mentioned, Indiana and Denver or Chicago, all of those teams might want one of those things that the Pelicans don't want. And when you get all of those other teams involved, then there's more chatter around the league. And as there's more chatter, the other teams that are competing to try to get Anthony Davis in the trade are aware of the bid that they have to beat. And there's, because like, like we were saying, when we're talking about three team trades and with the Lakers and with the Knicks, if David Griffin says, we don't like some of the things that you would send us, but we don't want to have to be the ones that sell it. So you try to sell those other assets on the market. NBA GMs aren't going to be idiots. They're going to know that, oh, the Knicks and the Lakers are suddenly asking me if I'm interested in Brandon Ingram or Kevin Knox or Dennis Smith Jr. or Lonzo Ball. They must be talking Anthony Davis trade with the Pelicans. So, right. <clears throat> so that that alone the churn of of it over the next 3 weeks i think increases the value that the pelicans are going to get back be just because the demand is going to be there but it's it's going to be easier for a team to make the anthony davis trade if they're making a trade with a whole bunch of future picks like the knicks especially if it's not necessarily your own future picks when you're talking about adding in those dallas picks than it is um players when you're talking about hey can we get half of the Celtics rotation I think those kind of expectations are a little high um, can you get Smart and Tatum and then maybe some future picks yes but Smart and Tatum and Brown and can we sign Rogier and some of the other stuff that I've seen from people on Twitter no they're shooting for the moon that's not going to happen yeah, yeah just My to favorite. add to that I, I... I would honestly throw Boston in there. I mean, you guys remember what Danny H said at the trade deadline. He he, he didn't just kind of casually mention that, hey, Boston wants in on the AD sweepstakes. He implored for them to wait. You know, he said he would throw them everything, um, that they would be aggressive in making a deal with all of their assets. And also mentioned was the fact that, you know, the decision on whether to chase Davis, it didn't matter whatever Irving would do. So I think, we're kind of forgetting of just how determined and, and I think, I still think that the Boston Celtics and Danny Ainge have the pressure of living, you know, in, in the shadows of their former glory as well. So I think they're going to be just as motivated as the Lakers and as the Knicks. So that's going to keep the price undoubtedly high. So that's why it's, it's a little bit hard, like for us determining, you know, other teams that could be in on, I think that's what makes this exercise hard because other teams have to know that they're going to have to really throw in a lot more of their assets than they probably ever would ever want to, especially without any kind of guarantee on Anthony Davis. But yet again, at the end of the day, I still think there's going to be those three teams at a minimum that are going to be throwing the whole kitchen sink, you know, everything at the Pelicans and trying to get Anthony Davis on their team. And we don't know. I mean, I, I still think that Brooklyn and the Clippers, there's going to be another team that's really going to push hard. So 
long-winded answer, but yeah, grabbed by all of us. But I think there's no doubt. I don't think we're overvaluing anything because there's going to be two or three teams at a minimum ready to give it up, give up all of it to get Anthony Davis on their squad. They're just so, I think, you know, the thing we walk away from this and obviously we're going to be doing a lot of other things this summer with free agency and with prospects as we get closer to the draft and, and, and those types of things. It's just when you, when there are so many moving pieces with all of this, so many dominoes yet to fall. And it all goes back to the official statement that he's been making through every one of these is, and is that this deal has to get made before the draft. I think, you know, after the draft, everything changes for the Pelicans. So, I mean, I think that's the one thing, no matter we're talking players, picks, whatever, if we don't know about a deal by draft night, I think that that changes the game completely. Am I wrong? No, I think you're right. I wouldn't say completely. Because it could be a deal because they everybody has to wait because to make you know the trade possible due to, you know the uh, the CBA that they have to wait. So picks will be made on draft night, but we won't know at the time that really it's the Pelicans telling whatever team, hey, I would prefer this if we're going to do an Anthony Davis trade. Get this guy. Get this guy. So oh, in that context, there's we've are, like I'm that's under the discussion that we had before that those picks are made for the Pelicans. The deal has been agreed to behind the scenes, but we're waiting on the new calendar year. Da, 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 da. Right. I'm, I'm just, just, you know, that yeah, I'm just answering. If we don't hear anything by draft night, I'm not going to be too fearful. I think we, if we don't start hearing rumors once free agency is approaching, then I'm going to get scared. Well, I would also say in this day and age, like we're going to hear it. Somebody's going to leak it. So if, yeah, it, draft if they got to wait, you're going to, you're going to hear it at least by the next day. You know, it's going to come, Shams or Woj are going to come out and say something, you know. Because we've seen it every year where, you know, they've had these agreements where you got to stop announcing trades and picks before the league does it. But these guys know, and, and there are a lot of people who are going to know that night who's making these picks and why. So I think it's going to come out regardless if somebody's making picks on the Pelicans' behalf. And especially when you start seeing them, like, you know, Telling Anthony Davis to stay away from the facility or whatever, you know, <laughs> that kind of things will happen. Like they do with Chris Paul, you know. Yeah. They don't want to get her. And I'm, you know, I, I just, I think we've done a great job on this. I just want to say for, for you guys in particular, I am, I think I've been blown away by the, just the amount of research we've done, the amount of stuff that you guys have put brought to the table. So, I mean, I think we've done a really great job on this and I look forward to the rest of the stuff that we do heading through this. I think it's been an awesome series. Um, and and I look forward to to everything else that, that comes up next. And I hope that the listeners have enjoyed it. I know that we've seen people in Boston pick it up. I've seen we've seen people you know all around the NBA um, reading and listening and watching. So um, I think I think we've 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 tried our best to do a great service for the Pelicans fans and, and folks who are listening and I think we're gonna we're committed to doing it for the rest of the the rest of this offseason and then the next season. Um, guys, is there anything else that we need to say before we uh, finally cut out here after an hour and 40 minutes? You said this was going to be a short one. I <laughs> thought it was! <laughs> I broke my promise. Well, all right, so that's it then. Thank you again for joining us on behalf of Kevin Barrios, David Fisher, Alec Osell, and myself, David Grubb. Thank you for listening 
and uh, tune in for more coming soon. Till the next time, let's go Pels. Thank you for listening to The Bird Calls on the Off the Glass, Nothing But Net, and Up and Under podcast networks. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes, retweet, share with your friends, and most importantly, subscribe today. Technology Truths, brought to you by GEICO. Technology Truths. Truth. Teenagers can communicate entirely in emojis. How was the birthday party? Pizza slice, kitten, soccer ball, pineapple? Truth. It's so easy to switch and save on car insurance at GEICO.com. What are you talking about? Paperclip, shoulder shrug, high five, wizard hat? What? GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Your home is important. That's why GEICO helps make it easy to save on condo insurance. Because home is more than just a place. Home is where you took minimalism too far because there's only one chair in your entire condo and your only entertainment is one card. Not even a deck of cards, but a single card. And all your guests have to share one plate and one fork, but you're convinced that less stuff means more freedom. The GEICO Insurance Agency could help protect the overly minimalist broom closet you call home. Call GEICO and see how easy it is to switch and save on condo insurance. Have you ever wondered how to say good morning in Italian? Or what is goodbye in French? You can ask Alexa. Just say, what is happy birthday in German? Or how do you say hello in Japanese? Do you want to know how to say I love you in Spanish? Ask Alexa and start learning a new language today.